Hey everybody, welcome back for another episode of Ranching Reboot. I'm your host, Red Hills Rancher. This episode is sponsored by all my awesome patrons on Patreon and the subscribers on Spotify. Thank you so much for your support. If you'd like to support the show and let me keep making podcasts, head over to patreon.com slash redhillsrancher. You can also subscribe on Spotify by clicking on the link at the bottom of the episode description. If you missed the Q&A last week, sorry about that. Spotify was having some technical issues when I uploaded, and I never went back before release and checked if those features are working again. My bad. The giveaway for the October 31st and November 1st Essentials of Regenerative Ranching course in Ardmore, Oklahoma, presented by the Noble Research Institute, is still going on, and there's a week to get entered. I'll draw and announce the winner in next week's show, episode 134. The Essentials of Regenerative Ranching course is a two-day course with in-person instruction, facilitated group discussions, and plenty of hands-on application. When I went to the one in Stillwater, we learned how to estimate forage in an area. Then we learned how to analyze that area and determine how long we could graze with a hypothetical herd. We also took a deep dive into soil function, digging a bunch of holes and looking at dirt. Whether you're looking to learn the basics or are well-seasoned, there's something to learn at the Essentials of Regenerative Ranching course. Enter the giveaway at redhillsrancher.com noble, and there's links for that and info on the course in the show description. Support for this episode is also provided by Land Trust. Land Trust provides a secure platform with real-world identity verification. As a landowner, I know that anybody booking through Land Trust is who they say they are, and that's important. For all you sportsmen, hunters, and fishermen, and women, Land Trust has over a million acres in their portfolio. No matter what sort of critter or outdoor experience you're looking for, Land Trust can help connect you with a landowner. Click the link in the description to learn more. And please check out all the rest of my awesome sponsors. You can find all the offers, coupons, and discount codes by checking in the description or on my link tree. Darren Dale, here we are here in sunny Torrington, Wyoming. It is a beautiful morning. Thank you for joining me outside and taking the time off from your, your busy schedule uh, of what you're doing here, which we'll get into in a minute. Really appreciate you doing this. And for those of you out there in podcast land, this is experimental. We're literally sitting outside. Uh, there's an expo going on. I don't know, was that 100 feet away? There's a demonstration arena back here behind us. And we're going to try to make the best of it. So Darren Dale, welcome yes. to Ranching Reboot. Well, Brian, thank you for coming all the way up to Torrington and you uh, came to Hutch for us before and we, I appreciate the push that you're giving to agriculture and, and thank you for taking your time out today. Yeah, I didn't mind making the drive. I had a you know, pretty nice car to make the drive. I'm not sure I'll be able to walk when I get out of it home tonight, but uh, a little bit better. It's, it's different than driving a pickup and I'm getting to see a lot of country I've never really looked at too hard before. Sure. Uh, you know, the southeast Wyoming and the western Nebraska panhandles not they're just not areas I've really traveled through a lot, so I don't know a whole lot about them, and it's uh, it's kind of nice being out here and getting to take a look at some country. It's open country. We're in the area from Canada to Mexico right here where only 1% of the U.S. population lives. There's only 1% here, and a lot of that has to do to the region and, and agriculture and uh, the Native American battles, the Comanche and other battles, and things that happen here in Goshen County push people out early. So it's a 1% of the population is here. That's it. I think I saw something, um, maybe it was a YouTube a couple months ago, that 80% of the people in the country either live on the Pacific coast or east of the Mississippi. Yeah. So like the, the middle half of the country, there's only 20% of us here. You take out a couple cities like Santa Fe, Kansas City, Denver, um, and Albuquerque. And that number falls even farther. Oh, absolutely. When you get out of Denver almost to Fort Morgan and you go straight parallel north and south and then you get over maybe to Kearney, North Platte and down, very densely populated. Yeah. Yep. So what are, what are we here for in Wyoming? Um, Wyoming, this is, I think, the 39th ag trade show that Star Expos has put on. And through doing that and watching the world and being a self-made person, I'm thinking, how can I help agriculture? How can I do something besides play the politic game or do that? And my thoughts were, if we can get kids to go to Eastern Wyoming College and be electricians, plumbers, get a trade, 
they can go right into the workforce in less than two years and be making 125000 as a welder. And then right. they buy one cow, two cows, 10 cows, and next thing we know, we are increasing the cow herd back into sole proprietorship. The pushback to sole proprietorship, and so that was my goal with this show. And my friend Justin has a hemp farm, and... We're talking about Justin Harris from Wild S. Wild S Soap, Wild S Hemp Farm. Just, yeah. just for clarity, previous episode. And so uh, to answer your question, that was my goal is to, to help agriculture. In this area, this is the number one ag county in Wyoming. There's no other ag shows in Wyoming. And so for our vendors, it's a hard area to work. And so this gives them a place where they can service their customers a lot better. They can see them here. Well, hopefully that's, hopefully she's not about ready to have a horse wreck over there. You know, um, so the folks yesterday were saying something, we're in Goshen County, which, you know, of course I'm not from here. Um, so I had to look last night and see how big Goshen County was because I believe it's the biggest agricultural producer in the state. It is the biggest. It's alfalfa uh, due to the area and, and high altitude and unbelievable water. We're on the North Platte. They started putting canal systems in in the early 1900s. Uh, abundant water and it's gorgeous. And this is where the majority of the ag production for the whole state of Wyoming comes out of here in Wheatland. The rest of the state is really known for its uh, gas and energy. It's an energy state. And so the university and the college was excited to showcase this area and, and help their producers. Something besides coal mining for a change. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yep. Right on. So you said this is your 39th show. How long have you been doing Star Expos? I started my first one in McCook, Nebraska uh, with $13 and 2008. $13. $13. I'm a pure entrepreneur, self-made. I'll give a quick editorial, try to get it under 60 seconds. I grew up <laughs> You take in, as much time as you need, Darren. <laughs> I grew up in Durango, Colorado. Uh, I lost my dad at 13, so my junior high years, I lived uh, on my own talked my grandma into giving me a loan for 100 head of yearlings. And so I took those on and did the 4-H stuff, but started paying for my own clothes and everything when I was in seventh grade. Wow. And so when I go to college, I was lucky I uh, was athletic. I played basketball in high school and got to play basketball in college. And so I had the opportunity to look at a bunch of different schools, but the one I had to go to was Curtis because between the rodeo and the basketball, they paid for everything because I had to pay for it. That's nice. Yeah, and they helped, and so I went there, and uh, what I realized, I graduate, and then I have to go work at Maywood at the high school as a lunch lady for a year because my college degree isn't worth beans. So I washed the trays and swept the floor at the high school after I got a two-year degree. And a friend of mine, Dallas Talkington, says, Darren, you're worthless. You got to do something. And I said, well, what should I do, Dallas? And he says, come back to school, rodeo for me for a year, and get a horticulture degree. Okay. So I do, and then right away I'm in business. I start my own landscape business. We moved to where my wife was from, Bird City, and I'm in business. I do that for a couple of years. Uh, then we moved back to Durango because it was pulling me. I go back there and do a few different things. I uh, sell cars, uh, sell water softeners door to door. Okay. You've got to be a closer. If that's all commission. Those are both commissions. So I learned a lot about myself. Door to door sales is hard. I've never tried it because I know I'd be terrible at it. <laughs> But I learned that I wanted to be in agriculture, so we moved back to Bird City, worked for the High Plains Journal for eight, ten years, uh, worked for a seed company for a year, and then dreamed up the, the farm show in McCook. And it took off, and then we acquired one in Wichita Falls, and then we got one in Great Bend that we ran for. We did the one in Great Bend for 13 years, and a lot of changes in agriculture. I watched the state of Kansas change tremendously in agriculture. Uh, if you guys are out there listening, yes, it was the Three I Show. Yep. I was the guy that took over the Three I Show, and, the, and we did in Great Bend. The last time I went, it was more like the One and a Half I Show. Yeah, well, um, Tana and I, I started a boutique. I'm at the shows, and I'm going, most of our producers, the wife or the woman owns the farmer ranch. That's just how it works. So I wanted boutiques and stuff like that in my trade show, and it's tough to get them in there because of traffic and this and that. So I just went to the Western Market, and I bought a bunch of stuff and put in my own boutique. And so when the producer wants to buy that Daniel squeeze shoot for a, a big sum of money, if his wife is there shopping, he can go over and say, hey, hon, what do you think? 
If she's downtown, nobody stands a chance. So long story short, we put in the, the boutique. And then a couple of years ago, when things really changed, we took our boutique and we put it downtown Binkelman and have a retail store with it there and run our farm shows out. We load up our files from 34 ag shows, take them in, and that's when it really hit everyone but me. 95% of those businesses from all those shows from Canada to almost Corpus Christi, 95% of our ag businesses are out of business. Yeah. I can't call them and say, hey, Becker Tire, for you guys in Kansas, you'll get this. I can't call Becker Tire and say, I'll give you a better deal on a booth or what can we do? Because Becker Tire sells to Best One Tire and within three years, they go from 600 employees to three guys making retreads in Great Bend and that infrastructure is pulled out. So I saw some different things uh, through that show. So then we move on to here and I wanted to showcase the college and, and the hemp farm and try to get more people in agriculture. Okay, cool, very cool. And that's important. I mean, the average age of farmers and ranchers it just seems to keep going up and up and up and up. And there's, I think there's some bigger challenges ahead. You know, we've got to figure out how to bring the next generation in, get them involved and interested in being the next generation of farmers, ranchers, and meat cutters, and yes. welders, yeah. and things like that. But I also see some problems with, you know, generational succession. Oh, absolutely. Of, of, of not just, you know, not just assets, but, you know, land, ranching operations. And this is something, you know, we talked about this last night about how we're becoming, we're fast becoming a culture of tenant farmers, or we already are. And sure. we just, we, we missed it. Like we were just distracted by other things. And suddenly the owner operator in agriculture is an extremely rare breed now. It is. And I saw it when I did the High Plains Journal. We went to Iowa and Illinois to do like a campaign to try to get more subscribers. Next thing I know, when I'm driving around there, there's a lot of houses, but the people that live in them work somewhere else. And there's one guy or two guys that farms everything. Mm -hmm. And they're just not existing. And it caught me a touch off guard at that time. But throughout the last 15 years, I've seen that migrate across the Missouri River throughout Kansas. And next thing you know, there's not very many people in our houses. And we all, you and I both have friends that, you know, if they're not farming 13,000 acres, they're not breaking even. Right. Uh, I've got a friend, Adam Orton at, at McDonald, young guy, aggressive, like we need, but he's pushing that 13,000 acres just to be successful. No wife, no kids. And he just grinds it out. But that's what we're seeing is those are, that's the number of acres you got to be at. And that takes a lot out of our small towns and our infrastructure. And the dollar that's spending and spinning is not there. So that to get the kids back, that was my goal with this. If we can show them on the vendor side, there's other opportunities. And if we can just give them the encouragement, go into agriculture, we need you. They're not always hearing that. And so that was a push on this. Okay. Okay. So... Just, just for clarity, those of you out there at podcast land, I've been hanging out with Darren for like a day and a half, and I've got all kinds, all kinds of notes that I want to talk about, and I'm not sure how to get there. Um, I think it's great, and you know, we need more things like this. And I didn't really understand. I didn't really understand some of the things that uh, you've been talking about. By that, I mean that. I always thought going to a farm show, I'm like, you know, there's, there's soaps and dresses and handkerchiefs. And like, I just want to look at tractors, right? Sure. Sure. Well, what is all this crap doing here? Right. I, after you said that, that you got to bring the wife, have something for the wife to look at. So she's there. So the guy can make an instant decision and not have to go home and talk to the wife. I can totally see how that generates, generates a lot of sales. Yeah. And it's there and it's a fun atmosphere. This is what everybody in agriculture, if this is your, your real job, this is what you do. And so you get to see stuff that you're using and anytime we can get anybody together and visit, they get ideas, they get motivated, like-minded people fuel like-minded people and winners around winners, nothing can, but success can come out of it. And that's what these do is they get people around and we all need a pat on the back now and then. And sometimes this is a good place to get one. Sometimes I just want to be told, hey, you're not doing too bad of a job. <laughs> right. Your place looks all right. I'm like, 
Well, hey, thanks. I appreciate that. And your grass isn't grubbed all the way down. Yeah. yeah. You know, sometimes I need to hear that. You know, if we, the longer we stay on the ranch by ourselves, the more tunnel vision we get and the more, the more we get sucked into our own problems. Sure. And, you know, the, I'm not saying there aren't a lot of problems in the world, because of course there are, but, you know, we, we kind of also need to be a little bit better about picking and choosing our battles and what we're, what we're choosing to direct our attention to. Or our energy, sure. So, I want you to tell me about getting hit by lightning the first time. Um, I was living, my dad goes to Seattle to get a bone marrow transplant. And so they leave the last week, uh, last two weeks of junior high, I'm in eighth grade. I drive to school. I live in the country, drive into town, break my ankle the last day of school. Uh, my parents aren't there, but before they left, I had them write me a waiver note. We got a little... A little airplane a little going over, right overhead. He's a low flyer. Yeah. And so then uh, we're flood irrigating, and I'm on crutches because I got a broken ankle. And it uh, gets in the bottom of the field, and the lightning runs up the water. It's, I probably had two inches, inch of water. And it hits it, and it just blows me off my uh, crutches and throws me back. But there's no one there. This is why I kind of think, as a society, we got to get tough. Because I look around, I have no mom, no dad. There's nobody around to bitch to or complain that I'm hurt. No one cares. I've got a party that evening. So I get up, I just suck it up. Of course you have a party that evening because you're 16 or 15 and living alone. Yeah, of course you have a party. And so I I go through it, but it kind of like in your tractor when your wiring gets hot, it kind of burned a few things. But I just brute force and I went through it. And so I, I beat it through exercise and diet and uh, just being tough. And then a few years later, um, we're standing outside of our house in Bird City out in the country. And one cloud comes over the top and my body starts to feel so bizarre. I get upset. I tell my wife and kids, let's get the cars, put them in the Quonset. And she thinks I'm crazy, which I am. And next <laughs> thing I know, I'm out. I get Tan and Taos and Tay inside our house, shut the door, and then uh, the lightning bolt hits the tree right beside me. It breaks the tree and then it rips the power. The branch hits and rips the power off the house, pulls it out. So now I've got live hot 220 on the ground. And it wasn't like, hey, I got struck by lightning. This isn't working. It wasn't like this, it wasn't like you break your leg, it's broke here. Right. And so things just started going slow and then it got to the point where I couldn't take a phone call I didn't answer a phone for probably three years which I lost most of my friends explain it like why didn't you answer the phone just like the electrical the the wavelengths like when we look at the spectrum we can see color but on the outside of that color is your gamma rays your wi-fi all the stuff we can't see so I can hear that I can feel it you guys in in podland I'm sitting on the ground, and if I ground my feet, it's like night and day different. It's like... You want to take your boots and socks off? I I do a lot of times. Okay. And uh, so that changed it right away, but it changed everything. I went from making 100 phone calls a day to zero. Went down to about 85 pounds. And then my pancreas quit working. I become... uh, Diabetic, but my allergies are so severe. I'm allergic to insulin. So I go on a pure protein diet. I eat uh, probably three pounds of hamburger every day okay. and maybe two dozen boiled eggs. So as soon as my blood's, uh, I'm a low blood guy, not a high blood guy. So when it goes low, uh, I would eat eggs, I'd eat eggs. And next thing I know, I go, to be honest with you, I'm going to die. I'm going, shit, this is crucial, crucial. I can't see, I didn't drive for three years, which was hard for my friends and family to understand, you know. They see me on here or there, and it's all perception because I didn't want to lose my business. Because right. if you if the if the king of the ship or the captain goes down, nobody wants to get on the boat. And so I had to kind of go through it all. Luckily, my wife stepped up and did everything. And I'm thinking, I want the cure. Well, I went to Mexico and got stem cells and did and all of that. When was this? Uh, four years ago. Okay. Maybe five. Sometimes my timing's off a little bit. So I go down there and I start that. I had uh, Vicki Christensen, 
with Trace Rio Silvers, a family friend. She went with me. Trick rider. Uh, when I was a kid, her hand went close, so you'd have to button Miss Vicky's cuffs because her hand just didn't work. And now her hand's working, and she's moving. And I'm going, if she's doing it, I'm doing it. So I go down there, do the stem cells. Uh, they put them in my feet. They put them in my eyes. They do the ozone. And I went every three weeks for probably three years and went from in the grave to out between stem cells and God. Uh, I'm still here so we can enjoy this conversation. I am enjoying it. <laughs> yeah. And so that's a, that's a Mexico story. But what I learned, I'm understanding agriculture and I'm understanding that how they're monopolizing everything. But you go down there to Tijuana, they take one drop of blood, they put it under a 5G microscope. Within seconds, they go, this is what you got. You've got this, this, and this. For other people, they can diagnose Crohn's, Lyme's disease, everything within seconds. Within seconds, it's a 5G microscope. And so now I know what's wrong with me. Now we know how we're gonna tackle it. And we take a tumor off the back of my head through IVs and stem cells, and it goes from hot and active to gone, cancer-free. It took a few years, but it got it all out. And I'm watching the world because I lost my dad from cancer. Right. I lost TJ Peters, who used to own the Fort Worth Stockyards, was my greatest mentor. And then I lose my best friend, Keith Maddox, that owned the hat company through cancer. I saw him go to Invitra down in Scottsdale, 125,000 for stem cells. They fly him to Mexico, put him in. He comes back, he's sick, but next thing you know, we get three more years. So I know the stem cells will work, but I know the 125,000. Right. So we get down there and it's not, it's 2,500 to three grand. Next thing I know, I'm running into 70 year old ranchers and welders from Nebraska. Instead of getting knee surgery, they put shark stem cells in there, no surgery, and they're off and going. Wait, you said shark? They use shark stem cells for the sports injuries. Okay. Um, if we think a few years ago, our baseball players, Barry Bonds, Sammy Sosa, great big thick guys, well, they're doing steroids. Right. Now all of our athletes, rodeo and sports, they look like gladiators, like Tom Brady. Well, they use shark stem cells. You break your ankle, you put shark stem cells in there. It's natural, no DNA, and it rejuvenates. It does what they want the chicken fat to do is take up the space, but this takes the space up and rejuvenates. Why shark? Uh, because it's a heavier tissue. It lasts longer and it's a, it's a heavier tissue. You think of a shark and how they are compared to... Well, well sharks don't have bones. They're all cartilage and, yes. and, and harder cartilage. So that makes sense that there might be some more uh, mojo in the connective tissue, right? Yes. Yes. All right. And we're back. You had to go, you had to go, who was it you had to go introduce? Um, Dr. Tom Knopfsinger. He does uh, low stress cattle handling. We've seen him at Great Bend and we've seen him at Hutch and all over. Uh, in my mind, when I introduce him, I, he's my favorite because I've seen Dr. Tom when there's not a crowd. He's just, he has, he lives close to us. Okay. He's out working cattle and he uh, has a couple Weeses are his partners, and so I've seen him working cattle when it's just him. He's smooth. I've seen him horseback. He's got a soft hand. He communicates great. He's just really a, a, a solid person. I've never had the privilege of sitting through one of Dr. Tom's talks. Every time I go listen to somebody talk about low-stress handling, I learn something new. And sure. like I'm one of those guys... I had a copy of the Bud Williams DVD. Yeah, that's it. Yes. But I, well, no, I didn't even have a copy of the DVD. There was a VHS copy of the Bud Williams, Bud Williams stockmanship uh, that circulated around three, four of us down there around Sun City. And we wore the tape out. Like, it's, it's no good anymore. It's right. totally worn out. And then, and then he had a DVD. Well, nobody had a DVD player. <laughs> okay. So, okay. Um, but guys like... Uh, Guys like him, Bob Kenford, I really appreciate Bob Kenford. And now I grew up, I grew up in the 80s and 90s. And it seemed like all that I was exposed to cattle handling wise was just a bunch of rammer jammers. We gotta go fast. You know, the hot shots came out first thing in the morning and we gotta go fast. Everything's gotta be fast. And people were yelling and screaming. Well, you know, and then I joined the Navy and I came back eight years later and 
everything's different. And I start learning low stress techniques and learning about flight zones and how to move cattle yes, on the flight, foot. You just push them. And yes. And now, like, uh, so last week, uh, one of my clients came up and weaned calves. Okay. Okay. So after we weaned calves, I don't move, I don't, I wanted to put the cows back in the pasture where we got them from, but it was getting a little bit late in the day. Like, we'll just leave them here. Came back the next morning, they're where I left them. Okay, great. I went and I put the cows back in the, in the pasture they were grazing and where they were supposed to be. Drove over the hill, they're they grazing. Come back the next morning, they'd blown down a gate and we're half a mile away down at the corrals. Okay. Okay. How long do you think it took me to get a hundred head a hundred head of freshly weaned cows, or a hundred a hundred head of cows of just weaned calves, half a mile back to that pasture? Thirty minutes. That's not bad. It took That's me thirty bad. minutes to get the cows back and to rebuild the gate they broke. Okay. All I had to do, I mean, they were all standing down at the water trap. I just went down there, got behind them got them lined out and walking. And as soon as they were all moving, I took the pressure off and circled way out to the, it would have been to the left, to the west of the herd, because we were trying to go north. Okay. And they just lined out, walked right up the fence. I watched the lead one. She walked up there, looked at the gate, turned right and walked right in the pasture, put her head back down. Yeah. And I just sat there. I just sat there and watched them all walk up. And nobody's getting ran over. They're not breaking another gate. They're not running. They're not running. They're not losing weight. They're just yep. walked nice and calm right back up to the gate and walked in. Now the, the less energy you put into the cattle when you're trying to handle them, the less energy they've got to release before they go back to grazing. Sure. And you know, there's one of the great uh, stockmanship gurus that I've listened to. Maybe it was Kurt Pate said this. He said, your cattle are either on the shrink or they're on the gain. Right. And your job as a stockman is to keep them on the gain. Yes. And, and I get that. Yeah. So, and, and I think low stress is a big part of that. And Dr. Tom does a, a fabulous job. Uh, ILS is not hiring cowboys. They go and hire uh, a lot of the people from the prisons. Okay. And when I was at Great Bend, I would use the work ethic camp for all sorts of stuff, clean up this and that. So over 13 years, I met a lot of people that are in that situation. Well, next thing you know, we got Dr. Tom coming and the, a lot of these guys or kids that I'd met are now in here taking Dr. Tom's class because they're the ones that are doing the work and moving the cattle. And after the second, third year of that, these guys are coming up. And they're some of our better stockmen because they're using these techniques or open slate and they want to do it. And it was really interesting to see how Dr. Tom might be the only one I've ever met that could get ILS to listen. And it's because he did it in the right way. Their staff is moving cattle way better, but just his easy hand and, and communication skills is better for livestock. So that's my Dr. Tom story. <laughs> And I guess we can tie it back to, you know, human stress. Sure. That, you know, the more stressed out we are when we're moving our cattle, the more they're going to react to us. They're going to be flighty or they're going to be a little more twitchy. And if you go, I found that if things aren't going my way, they're, if they're not going the way I want them, when I'm in the pens or even when I'm in the pasture trying to move cattle. Sure. Instead of trying to continue to press into a bad situation and, keep increasing the negative energy, I'll just leave. And that's because animals are two wave radios. They don't have a conscious mind. So what you're saying is exactly right. They're two waves. Uh, I have a lot of friends that are rodeo guys and I've seen it, I've done it myself. You get your energy up, you can make that horse or that bull buck 10 points higher than the guy that got on it last time, two waves. And when you know what you're doing, you can do that. And you know, when you're stressed, sometimes you just got to take a step back and those cattle will reset. You get out of their comfort zone. It's a two wave radio. And when just, you, you can control a lot through that way, no conscious mind in an animal. Just let that energy fall back down. Let the stress levels yes. fall back down. Yep. And you can come back with clarity for a lack of a better term. You come back with some clarity and some focus about this is what it is. 
this is the end result I want and not being, not getting upset in the process that things aren't exactly going sure. smooth. Right. You know, as long as they're kind of continuing in the right direction, <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to get upset, you know. Right. Progressing the story. Progressing a story. Okay. So we've been to Mexico and we've had some stem cell treatments, some shark treatments. We've been hit by lightning twice. Uh, let, let's, you mentioned your friend John Maddox, late John Maddox at American Hat Company. And that was yeah. a real interesting story. So how did you get involved with John? And the uh, hat Keith. Company? It's uh, Keith. Or, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's Keith Maddox. My uh, wife's cousin, TJ Peters, uh, lived in Fort Worth, Nebraska guy did a lot of things in his life and him and Keith were uh, best friends. So when I went to Fort Worth to see TJ and hang out, here's Keith. The first time I meet him, denim jacket on, we're just shooting the bull and about nothing. And I said, Keith, what do you, what do you do? He says, well, I just bought the American hat company two days ago. And so I'm in the hat business. And so becoming friends with Keith. And when you buy something like that, everybody wants to be a part of something after it works. Right. When you first buy it to get sales reps to travel the road and sell it, they're borderline a bunch of prima donnas, so they don't want to do it unless they're guaranteed the money. And I can sell. And so one day we're playing golf and Keith says, hi, dang, I don't got anybody at uh, the September market. I don't have any salesmen. And I said, well, when I leave Fort Worth, uh, I'll stop by the crazy house. I'll sell them some hats because I know the guys. And I already knew... 90% of all Western store owners through other things I've done. So when I head back home, I stop at the crazy house and uh, Brian gets some hats and at Liberal, crazy house there, gets a bunch of five inch brims. And, and these are sales that Keith wasn't getting. He had no one on the road. So I go to the September market and then I actually work the markets for 13 years for Keith. Learn a lot about myself, but it was the greatest mentorship of all time. He showed me things. I, it's the key of, like Earl Nightingale says, the things you learn after you know it all. Keith, uh, I love him to death for everything he's always done for me. And he, he showed me some different things. And then when I get sick, I've got to, I'm allergic to mercury. I've got my mouth full of mercury. I've got to do... I is that something in, that, that you grew into or have you always been that way? No, the lightning. Okay. It, it switched it. And so I've got to do dentist surgery. I've got close to seven hours worth of it. They go in and they close your throat off and they put gauze in your throat. And I'm allergic to the mercury. So I've got 20 nurses and dentists in there. My doctors are in there. No anesthesia. This is tough guy shit. Ooh. Pure tough guy. So I go through that whole thing. But my friend Keith, where I'm going to this... He showed me how to, I said, Keith, what am I going to do? I got to go do this dentist work. I can't take any kinds of cane or any of those Novocaine or nothing. He says, you got to self-hypnotize yourself. So he shows me how to self-hypnotize myself. And through that, I got stung by a bee, which I'm EpiPen allergic. And I could go down into my subconscious and push it out. And so when I did my dentist work, I made it through all of that. And so... I credit a lot to Keith showing me that, and it taught me how to balance myself, balance my mind and my body so I could let it heal and go through these things, which is like taking a baseball bat and just taking the beating. So Keith showed me some other tools. Uh, he moved out of his, he had a disagreement with his dad when he was 12, and uh, the dad wants more cattle, more land, more everything. And Keith didn't like that idea, so he moves to Weezer, Idaho when he's 12, rents a hotel room, and gets a job at the Western store and never moved home. I can see why you guys kind of got along. Yeah, we're pretty gritty, pretty independent. And so, like, I was so lucky to have him in there, but Keith was a legend. We're sitting in Torrington. When Keith lived in Torrington in the 70s, he was a Tony Lama boot salesman. His territory was Wyoming. He wouldn't open a store unless they opened it for 40000 He made close to 700000 a year selling Tony Lama boots. When he's in Torrington, he's got a brand new Lincoln. He owns the Bronco Bar. He's got his own plane. So he flies, like Cal Crate, to his appointments. Well, the next three presidents of Wrangler were college kids that saw Maddox. They went, 
He's got a plane. He's got the bar. He works two days a week. I want that. So his <laughs> who ripples. Wouldn't? Who wouldn't? I did. And so his ripples of success hit Torrington a long time ago and rejuvenated the school at that time. And because his positive vibes, his one statement that resonated to resonated with, he said, never had a bad day and never had a bad 15 minutes in my life. Never had a bad day. And that always resonated. And when I got sick, he says, Darren, nothing focuses you like a hanging. And that made me look at it a different way. And so uh, good mentors like that, that have no ego. That's the other thing he taught me. If you don't have an ego, you can get anything you want. Egos ruin more things. Don't have an ego. And so to touch back on that is real. That's how I met Keith. And, uh, for about 10 years, we figured we didn't spend any longer than two weeks away from each other. Okay. We found ways to, to be around each other. Kind of amazing when you find a person like that in your life. Like, you never know when your next mentor sure. is going to show up, and you never know when you're going to have a mentee arrive in your life. Right. And it's one of those things that you won't realize until years down the road that yes that's why this person was in my life and he helped me on business we would get we got in an argument one time uh on retail i like to keystone it mark it up 100 percent. and keith goes you, 10 to 12 percent is where you got to be and i said oh bullshit and instead of just telling me i'm wrong we go into the hat factory he gets out the books and we go through them and he says when i order the bodies it takes me almost 18 months before I get paid back from the Western store. But instead of giving me some bullshit, I know everything, he goes through there and shows me exactly number by number, and it helped me in business. I thought I knew a lot. It's the old story of the things you learn after you know it all. And so he excelled my business mind tremendously. Plus manufacturing, we'd go through the factory, their raw material factory. And, and so you have to know how every machine works and you have to get the best out of all your employees and they got up to 80 employees and they're the number one hat maker in the world. And they had nothing when he started it. He got sold down, uh, had a fire, burns the factory. The, the poor guy refinances his vehicles to pay payroll. We go see Pete Bonds down there and Keith gets a half a million from Pete just to pay expenses and stuff. So I saw some other ways to navigate without going to the banker and begging to him. And he was so resilient, pays Pete back, has the thing going. And so, like you're saying, it's subjective reality. I think both of us asked for that person in our life. We asked God, I need some help. He said he needed some help, and we teamed up. Very cool. Very cool. So, hey, guys, you heard me talk about Magic Mind a few episodes ago. Well, I've been taking it for a few months now, and I just got a fresh supply in the mail yesterday. If you go check out their website at magicmind.com, you'll see that they make a bunch of claims about focus and stress and energy, and I can tell you, they're not BS. Since I started taking Magic Mind, I've noticed increased focus, mental clarity, and more calmness. I know it works because I've forgotten to pack it on a recent trip, and I could definitely tell a difference not having it for two days. I couldn't wait to get back home and get back on my Magic Mind just for the increased clarity and calmness. Next morning, one little bottle, the cobwebs cleared, and everything was okay. The blend of cordyceps, matcha, and vitamin B complex promotes mental clarity and focus. With it, I'm focused, calm, and very productive. Next time I go on a trip, it'll be the first thing I pack. Look, there's a mental health epidemic in ag, and we're all affected by, by it. Magic Mind is my secret weapon to help me deal with the stresses of the weather and the markets. Magic Mind helps my brain stay focused on the big picture, keeps the anxiety away, and helps me spot opportunities where I used to see a threat. So if you're ready to have a better working brain to help you get more done in a more productive flow state, try Magic Mind today at www.magicmind.com ranching or click the link in the show description. That's magicmind.com ranching and use the code ranching20 for a massive 20% off your order. You made a comment about balance. How can you tell or how can a person tell if they're out of balance? Well, you can... You can tell a lot of times by the way things are going. Uh, there's always an ebb and flow of how things go. But for me, a lot of it, mine was all health. When my health got out of balance, uh, 
and it was literally out of balance. But if you eat good, you meditate a little bit, and you pray to God and you believe in the right God, it doesn't take long to get it back on. And kind of, it pushes some of the coyotes away, to be honest. Okay, okay. So I know we, we've talked off air about psychedelic treatments in ayahuasca in Mexico. And uh, I'm bringing that up because of your comment you just made a minute ago about ego and about people not having a big ego or being dominated by the ego Um, is that how did psychedelic treatments and ayahuasca help you deal with ego issues well uh for me i always kind of knew where my goal was and where i wanted to go when the lightning hit it made me allergic uh to anything that's plastic so i'm allergic to chlorine So I have to pack my own water, drink my own water, shower in my own water. And so, you know, it, it just, the cannabis was the ticket for me and medical marijuana to help, help me heal. It helped me slow down. It would slow down my mind, but I would get to where I couldn't open and close my hands. And it helps with the eyesight tremendously. It's not for everybody, but it's natural. I sleep on a buffalo hide and a Navajo rug because if I touch anything that's not natural, uh, I'll break out and burn through. Okay. And so that the cannabis helped it tremendously. And it goes back to my friend Keith. Uh, when he got cancer and had prostate cancer, we're in, in Phoenix and a friend of his brought over some cannabis and said, try this. And when you are hurting so bad, you'll try anything to get rid of it and clear your mind. And, and the cannabis being natural, what I do uh, is I strength test. I'll okay. put it in my hand. I ask my subconscious, is this good for me? If it's not, the strength test is negative. If I pick up this mic or this steel here and strength test it, uh, it'll almost feel like somebody hit me with a sledgehammer. And so learning how to do strength testing helped me with food, diet, eating, all that kind of stuff. When you say strength testing, you're not talking about picking something up and squeezing it to see how strong you are. No, like I'll take, this is my, Brian and I are sitting here under these beautiful pine trees. I've got a bottle of water in glass that's my own well water. So I ask myself, is this good for me? Should I drink it? And when I push, it's solid, it goes up. If I get something I have my cell phone in my hand now and I, is my cell phone, should I use it? And when I touch my hand, it just, it's like I almost throw it down. I knew that was going to do that, but I wanted to show my friend Brian. That's what I do for strength testing. I had to use it for food to figure out what I could eat, what I couldn't. And then I just developed it in. The lightning made me allergic to all B, A and B vitamins for about two years. Okay. And so I had to change change some other stuff. The lightning is hard for everybody to kind of understand unless you're a cow guy and you've seen it where it's killed one, 10 or 20. You've seen it kill cattle because it does every year. It And cattle people are different because they've got compassion. They've seen life. They understand life and death. Uh, it's a lot easier to visit with someone that is a horse or cow person about it than than anyone else. And I don't usually talk about it, to be honest. I'm really not this open about it. Well, I, I appreciate your openness. And uh, the, the comment you just made about compassion for the animals. And that really hits home for me. Sure. You know, I, I've grown up on the ranch and like my listeners know, been primarily a custom grazing operation for years. And I just bought some cows in March of 2020. That's the first time that my family's owned cattle since probably the seventies. And you know, it's, there's going to be people out there that are going, well, yeah, dummy. Uh, but you know, just being around, being around them for three years, watching my calves grow, watching these heifers, you know, come from a baby calf in March, 2020, when they showed up on the ranch to a beautiful mother now. Right. That I'm proud to have in my herd. It's very gratifying. It is gratifying. And when I see one of these animals that are suffering, it 
it physically hurts. It's a, it's emotionally damaging to me when I see one of my animals in distress or when they're stressed out. Sure. And I'm even talking about, you know, when I have hired hands, when I've got to hire help to do corral work. And, you know, it's, it's never going to be perfect. Nothing's ever going to go like you want it to. But I finally got a group of guys that I can call that I can get along with that don't stress me out with their handling. Yes. <laughs> and there's times where, Darren, there have been times where the people that I've hired and the people that I'm working with are stressing me out too much that my presence with the cattle is starting to screw things well, up. You so get I'll that, just leave. You get that two wave going and the energy goes up. It's an energy for sure. But the, having that deep compassion, you know, when you see an animal suffer, or you lose a calf or, you know, you have an old cow that trips and breaks a leg. You know, we suffer for that. We suffer for that. And we feel that we feel that animal and even taking them to the processor. When I load, when I've loaded them up to take them to the processor, I don't just throw them in the trailer and haul ass, load them, let them sit for a minute. And I spend a few seconds with them and I thank them. Sure. I thank them out loud for everything they've done for me. And I thank them for the sacrifice that they're about to give. Well, you tell God out loud, like you're doing, he appreciates it. The every, the Indians called it the everywhere spirit. Uh, our book religions, you know, call it the Holy Ghost. He's out there. He created these rivers and everything here. And when you do it out loud like that, it's, it puts out those ripples of that's what's real. Reverence for the natural world. Yes. I, yeah, I totally agree. And I think that's something that a lot of us in ag have lost. Not going to name names or point fingers. But I think we've lost, the, lost our connection to the land. That sure. Oh, hell, where am I going? I kind of had a direction I was going to go with that, but it seems like we're too busy. Most people are just too busy to notice, well, notice the natural world and the rhythms around them. In agriculture, the last few years or last two generations, our producers have had to work at such a pace that they've got to go. Uh, I went down to my uncle ranches at Cromo, Colorado. I go down there two years ago. Cause I have to relearn how to think, how to walk, how, what's going on. So I, I know I want to be around him. We go down there and we have to leave Cromo, drive to Nappy, put up three circles of, of wire and be back across the reservation before five or they close the gate. You can't get through Dulcet, no traffic. And what it did, cause I was struggling, but it showed me that pace that you have to go at in agriculture. And I had to be with my uncle Dick. Because he, uh, he is so balanced. When I was five, I learned how to work cattle because he would make me go right beside his hip. We'd go out and sort thousands of cattle, but I wasn't but a foot away. And Dick was so good at sorting cattle, my Uncle Jim and my granddad, there was no, who's going to do it? Dick, you got to go sort it because he had the energy and knew how to use the flight zone. So I learned that at five years old for him. So I wanted to go back and be around him so I could relearn the things I already knew to retrain my mind. I had to relearn how to read. Fuck, I didn't know how to read. I couldn't see, I couldn't, like all, it was like starting from scratch all over. Sorry for the bomb, but I, no, it, 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 was just, it was just part of it. When you have to relearn how to read at 40 years old and walk, where you're pulling like you're in physical therapy. You know, I just wanted to be around the people that taught me the first time. And it all goes back to what you're saying. It's livestock handling, caring. And when I put myself back in that situation to retrain my mind, it was super easy. So I keep wondering, you know, you, you've talked about being short circuited from being hit by lightning twice and some of the, some of the problems. And I'm, I'm, not at all doubting you or, or trying to question what you're saying. Sure. What do the, what does mainstream medical doctors say? Do they, do they have any explanation? Can they back up anything that you're feeling or saying with any sort of testing or are they just, they push the buck. They just push the buck. And next thing you know, they, the challenge in the United States is we don't have healers. 
we have prescription riders. And so whatever direction they go, it goes back to that pad that they're gonna ride it on. They're not healers. I was lucky I had a friend that was a doctor in a small town in St. Francis. Uh, there, his family has a purebred uh, herd. They have a purebred Charlay and Angus sale. He decided he wanted to be a doctor. And when I got sick and the diabetes started getting bad, he says, Darren, we can't fix you. You gotta find something different. And I was so blessed that he gave me that advice because then at that second, it encouraged what I already knew that I had to do something different. But when the doctor comes to you and says, you're my friend, I love you, I want you to live, you're gonna have to go somewhere else. Now he's not gonna tell anybody else that because that's just not how the world works. But as soon as I got that push, I'm going, I gotta do it. And then I, when I get to Mexico, I'm going, you're shitting me, you can heal, you can heal cancer? And we go through the list of family and friends and neighbors in the last year, the last two years that have died from cancer and they didn't have to. I almost get a little fighting mad because it burns me that there is a cure and there's things that we can do and they're just not available over the pure greed of money. And I think that more people have, are starting to see that over the last three years, really. Sure. That all these, the big corporations that are basically running the country, they just want to sell us treatment and there's zero interest in the cure. Like, yeah. you know, without naming names, the big ag companies that are just trying to sell chemicals or try to sell seed, they have no vested interest in trying to improve the soil No, or have different soil tests that maybe would tell what's actually still locked in the soil that we can unlock with another mineral. They've got no interest. The medical industry has no interest in curing cancer. None, if they wanted zero. to cure cancer, they would have done it by now. Yeah. Chemotherapy is billions. Yes. If we wanted to solve type two diabetes, adult onset diabetes, we'd look at nutrition. We'd look at high fructose corn syrup. We'd look at, we'd look at processed enriched wheat flour. We'd be looking at those things because that's why we have diabetes. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's one of the things, the stem cells of God. But before I went and did the stem cells, I knew the only thing I could control myself was my diet. So I source everything and that, that changed everything. And, and I'm still on that same program. And that's why I'm still here today because I'm so uh, tight on my diet because I want to see what's going to happen the next few years. It's an exciting time and I've got kids, but it's diet. It's good, clean food. And I run an ozone machine in water and most of my food I'll clean with that ozone. And so then it's- What, is that, what does that do? I never really understood that. The ozone's a cleaner. And so it's a disinfectant. They use it in a lot of places, hospitals to purify the air. It cleans the air, cleans the surfaces. You can use it as a cleaning supply. And it just, it purifies everything. If uh, my lemons, if for some reason, if they've got some spray on it, they'll foam white. And so next thing I know, I'm getting all that spray off and I can clean it. And then I'm putting a clean substance in my body that has no chemicals. I have to stay away from the chemicals. So the ozone, it, it does that. And through adaptation, I've figured out, my friend Ned Londo says, Darren, you got all the tricks. When my hands didn't work, they wouldn't open and close. I made myself eat with chopsticks. Oh, it might take me an hour and a half to, to, <laughs> to eat like maybe two biscuits. But that was the only way I'm going to get those motor skills back. Brute right. force and perseverance to get those things to go. The little tricks. Now, I don't keep near as strict a diet as you do. Like you're, you're kind of on another level. Um, I bring my own water with me. Sure. I bring quite a bit of my own food with me, my own snacks, um, supplements, those kind of things. And I'm, I try to be very careful about what I eat, especially when I'm on the road. I don't know. It always seems like every time I go to town, I get, yeah. I come home and two days later, I've got the sniffles and I've got to spend sure. about a day in bed just to detox from everybody's negative energy, everybody's stress or whatever stupid disease I managed to pick up in town. Right. Germs. Everybody's got their own weird germs. People, people are pretty gross, aren't they? <laughs> and they can be, and we're all unique and all different. And that's, that's why the, 
the pharmaceutical thing doesn't fit. It's a cookie cutter deal that they're trying to make people that have different DNA, different, our bodies all spin different. And that's not a cure. I get really frustrated about it because it just reminds me of Germany. Hitler, during World War II, every German citizen took meth. If you were in the, a sewer in the sewing machine, you took it right when you started. If you're on the front line, every two hours you take a meth pill. That's how they got so much done in such a short amount of time. Every German citizen was on meth. And I can't help but think right now, are we not any different in the United States? Everybody's on, not me, but a lot of people are on prescriptions they don't need to be on, but somebody's told them, are we any different than the Germans at World War II taking meth? I, I, I see your point. So some, what comes to mind right now is this new miracle drug, Ozempic. Yeah. Like it's, I don't even know what it's for. To make money. It, it, to, exactly. So you hear these 90 second ads on the radio or you know, see them on TV and it's 30 seconds of them talking about what it's supposed to do. Like, oh, this can lower A1C. And then they spend 60 seconds talking about the side effects. Exactly. Like your side effect warning yeah. is twice as long as the advertisement. And one of the warnings that you say really loud is may cause weight loss. Yeah. Like, okay, so now everybody that's overweight runs to their doctor to ask about Ozempic and get a prescription because one of the side effects is lose weight. Yeah. Like, it's a Ponzi scheme. It, 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 are we that, are we that it, just ignorant of how our bodies work that we, we're going to continue to pile in yeah. crap, sugar, processed carbs, and corn syrup and then think, oh, now that I'm fat, I can just take a pill to lose this weight. I was so lucky when I was a young kid. My granddad grew up uh, south of Pagosa, 14 kids in a one-room logging camp. Wow. He says, Darren, I always wish I could have went to school longer, but after third grade, I had to get a job. So he got a team of horses and skidded logs at the logging camp. One day, we're riding above Timberline, hooking it. They took in thousands of yearlings. So it's just him and I up high and we're riding. And he says, Darren, pull over. So we get over, unsaddle. So we got to unsaddle. You don't unsaddle when you're, we got two horses in the trailer. So we unsaddle. He has a shot of whiskey. We sit on the ground. We enjoy the day for just a second. There's a pause. And then he goes, Darren, in life, you have to do your own thinking. Do not ever let anyone else do your own thinking. Do your own thinking. If there's something comes up, look at it from two different angles, but you have to be able to do your own thinking. Now get up, it's time to go. And so we <laughs> jump up and we saddle our horses and we ride off. My granddad would ride a mule a lot of times because they're more sure-footed. Right. And he grew up at 9,000 feet. And, but that didn't hit me till later. And then when I got sick, that's all I could think about because I'm going, in the busy life we're in, he wanted to make an impact on that statement. Do your own thinking. And that's what I like about these shows yesterday. What do we get out of these shows? When I can catch those FFA kids or the college kids and tell them that story, do your own thinking. It changed my life, but with what's gone on in our country in the last few years, you've got to sort through the bullshit and decide out what you think is real and what's not. And don't let anyone else, media, 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 TV, cell phones, the neighbor. Do your own thinking, whatever it is. I think we could listen to their opinions, but not take it as facts. True. And, and approach, it, approach things with a skeptical, questioning mind. Yeah. And, and ask, um, criti and think critically. Sure, absolutely. I think we've, but it seems like we've lost the skills to think critically and to question things. Right. And I, I want to make a comment about public school systems, so I'm gonna, and I Please. think that's where, that's where little kids till they're five, six years old are bright and creative and expressive. Right. And then we send them to be around everybody else's kids. Right. And for eight years, like they're exposed, well, 
they're exposed to everybody else's kids. They say, well, they got to send them to public school to be socialized. I, the, who are we socializing with? Your I, dickhead children? I, I mean, I don't want you, my kids exposed to all the bad ideas that you're giving them. You're exactly right. You're nailing the head on there. And a lot of people don't want to say that, but it is a public school. Because this year I've traveled from Wichita Falls, Hutch. I've been up here. I've gone all up and down this corridor. And for the last 15 years, the only kids that I see that have started from scratch a new farmer ranch are the homeschooled kids. Yes. They are the only ones. A lot of the rich, privileged kids who fall into the farmer ranch, they lose it if it, if it isn't the third generation, they will. But what I'm seeing in Cheyenne County, which is as tough as anywhere to be a producer, we've got a couple kids that are aggressive, but they're homeschooled. They were homeschooled kids, and they're the only ones that are new. In southwest Colorado, there's a group of kids that are aggressive, but they're homeschooled. And they're using hunting and agriculture together to, to merge with the rich people and raise cattle. But it's the homeschool kids. They're not manipulated by the public school. And I know this because I'm a broke kid. For two years, I was a paraeducator at uh, Bird City at the school. Ran my landscape business during the summer. And then the winter, I was a basketball coach, football coach, and track and a paraeducator. And I'm thinking these kids... They're not getting the whole story, and this was 20 years ago. Yeah. Yes, I agree. Totally. Okay. Well, I know, I know you're busy, and I know you got to go, but I want, to t I want you to tell me about Doc Holliday in Las Vegas and how you met Doc Holliday. Uh, my friend Keith Maddox. <laughs> so he's sick. My friend Keith, he's getting ready for the NFR and setting up, and I'd always go out there and hang out for a week with him. And his crown falls off. And so uh, he was a stickler on appearance. He was always well-dressed, always pristine and perfect. Where his crown falls off, so he finds a guy to come to his hotel room and put his crown back on. Well, the guy gets there. and So the next day, Keith goes, oh, shit, Darren. I met maybe one of the most interesting guys I've ever met in my life. And I'm sick, and we hadn't figured out the Mexico deal yet. And he says, Instead of paying him for the crown, I traded him out a cowboy hat. So you've got to meet this guy. So he calls me and I get down to the best hats booth and he's got these wind pants on. He looks like the guy from uh, Back to the Future. Doc Brown. Doc Brown. <laughs> and so I meet this guy and he is one of the scientists that cured AIDS in 1992. He made the antidote and he says, the last three ingredients, you have to have 27 for the spinner to make the cell spin. The last three ingredients that they took almost maybe eight to 10 years to find were two were CBD and one was CBG. So when they put that in with their other potion. Cannabinoids. Yes. Okay. So that was the cure to uh, AIDS. He made it. And so then he helps me with dosage and some other things, but he opened my mind to a lot of other stuff. So Doc Holliday, I think he has maybe 16 master's degrees. He's a surgeon. He's everything. So he's accomplished about as much as he can. But in true Keith Maddox uh, fashion, you've got to reset your goals. You have to reset your goals. So that's what Doc Holliday did. And he moved to Las Vegas, made an exact replica of Doc Holliday's dentist deal. And he legally changes his name from what it was to Doc Holliday, but when you go in his dentist deal, the walls are covered in PhDs and doctors and everything. And one of the more interesting guys I'd ever met. He sounds like a very interesting guy. So my, my mom lives out by Las Vegas, like one of the little retirement suburb communities. So next time I go out there, I'm gonna have to look, I'm gonna have to see if Doc Holliday is still practicing in Vegas. Well, for a few years, he was making his own CBD and some other stuff like that. And he sent me some samples and stuff like that. But he's an interesting guy. He saw the world a little bit different and, and uh, he got along good with us because he wasn't scared to barter a little bit. He wanted right. one of those new cowboy hats. Yeah, so that's Doc Holliday, uh, interesting guy, cured AIDS, 1992. So this stuff's been out there for a while. Okay. So um, 
close it out, what other shows do you have coming up and where can people find you to communicate with you or where can they find you on the internet to learn more about Star Expos? Our next show's in McCook on the 17th of November, a two-day show there. We're looking for vendors and attendees, so you can go to starexpos.net. Uh, I am on Facebook, and you can find me there. I just encourage anybody that's listening to encourage you and your friends and kids to go into business for yourself. Sole proprietorship is the only way we're going to get this country back sole proprietorship and encourage people and just pass on good. And I want to thank you for your time and your push in agriculture and the, some of the things that, that you're getting out there is helping. It's helping tremendously and, and a lot of times we don't always get the right information but in true Ed Bramwell, my granddad's words, do your own thinking. Do your own thinking and I think that's I think that's a great place to end. I thank you for your time today, Darren. It's been very enjoyable and uh, I guess let's go enjoy the rest of the show. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right. You guys have a great week. See ya. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We'd also love to hear your thoughts, so leave us a review if you haven't already. And don't forget to check out the Q&A and the polls on Spotify. Your support helps us bring more enlightening conversations and fresh stories from the world of farming and ranching. Thank you for listening to Ranching Reboot your favorite regenerative ag podcast.